Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. We're in the middle of a message series walking through the book of Colossians, which is a letter about a big Jesus for life's big problems. This is week five of this series, and we're talking about how it's not enough to just accept Jesus as Lord. We have to stay faithful. We're all prone to wander, and there are spiritual forces behind the scenes pulling us away from God. We want to keep Christ at the center. Well, thanks again for tuning in. Here's our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Good morning. Now, Logan, who did the announcing up here, he's one of our elders, so I don't want to call him a liar. But uh, I've never been able to consume more than a few hundred pieces of the Halloween candy. He exaggerated terribly. Now, if you are not a Jesus follower, what I'm going to talk about this morning may be a little strange to you, although it's true for you too. There are two spiritual forces at work behind all of our lives. You can't see them, but they're there. Sometimes you can feel them, although ordinarily we don't recognize that it's them. There's God through his Holy Spirit who convicts us sometimes, encourages us sometimes, and is constantly pulling us towards God. And there is Satan and his minions. And they're trying to pull you away from God. They're trying to convince you that sin is really not sin, so go for it. That God, if he's there at all, is an old prude, so he's out of touch with the real world and he doesn't have any right to tell you what to do anyway, so... God's behind the scenes pulling you towards him and Satan's behind the scenes scenes trying to pull you away from God. And their motives are profoundly different. You see, God, we believe tremendously that he just loves us and he's trying to pull us towards him. And Satan hates God. And so he tries to hate whatever God loves. He can't hurt God, so he tries to hurt us. So there's this war going on behind the scenes and we are part of it, whether we recognize it or not. Now we know that this is a war that God is going to win. The outcome has already been dictated by God. We know how it's going to end. But we also know that some of us aren't going to make it. Some of us are going to lose. People around you, you don't have to look at them. Just recognize you're sitting with a bunch of really, really precious people. Some of the people in this room are going to be casualties of this war with eternal consequences. Some of the people around you aren't going to make it, and that ought to tear you up. Some of the people in this room are not going to make it because they simply will never choose to follow Jesus. And without choosing Jesus, you will lose this war. You're going to go down with Satan and the rest of those who refuse to acknowledge God as God. And I'm really worried about some of you guys because stats tell us, statistics tell us, that if you go to church five years or more, Without accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord, chances are you never will because you're getting too good at resisting the Holy Spirit's nudges, shutting down God, telling him no, getting hard inside. It's okay to ponder Jesus for a while, but at some point, guys, you just need to get it done where you're actually inoculating yourselves against God. And others of you, you're not going to make it because, well, you kind of made a choice to be a Jesus follower once, but you really weren't that serious. 
You kind of think what you did on that day was enough. You think that asking him to be your Lord and your Savior, getting baptized, you know, whatever you do next just really doesn't matter because you're really a Jesus follower now, right? So some of you guys have lived like you can marginalize him or blow him off because he's forgiving. You made the decision, you walked down the aisle, you got wet. It's enough, right? Well, no, it's not. And you could lose this war too. And then there are others of us who were serious when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we've tried to live it out. But every single one of us can fall away too. We can. In fact, some of you guys are drifting right now. There are periods in our life when it feels like being a Jesus follower kind of crimps our style. And we begin building this case, justifying the whole idea that we might just go ahead and push God away. And if you drift, and if you don't come back, which often happens, you're going to lose this war too. So guys, here at Capital City, we're on a mission from God. Our mission from God is to bring people to Jesus, to do anything short of sin, to encourage people to accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. But that's not the end of our mission. The rest of our mission is to drag each other to heaven. Knowing that, it's going to take some work. Knowing that, we're going to fail with some of you. It breaks our heart. Because we know that every one of us is prone to wander. We're all prone to wander, even on our own. And we also recognize that there are powerful spiritual forces working behind the scenes to pull us away from God. And the Apostle Paul knew all of this stuff, which is why he issues a warning. And and that's where we are today in our study of Colossians. So if you have your Bible on your phone or your tablet, if you've got one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles and you're sitting in a spot where there's some light, you can read it. Find Colossians 2.6. That's where we're going to start out this morning. The verses are also going to be on screen. See, the last month or so, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians, this little letter that Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. And we're doing this because what he says to them matters to us too. So here goes, Colossians 2.6. He says, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you got started right. You must, you must continue to follow him. He says, you can start, but not finish. Don't quit. You started strong. Don't quit. Don't drift. Instead, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Let your faith grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And even though it doesn't look like it on the surface, guys, this is a warning. He's telling us that you can accept Jesus as your Lord. That's the beginning. But just because you start well doesn't always mean you finish. So moving on, he's going to start talking about the things that can pull us away, that can cause us to drift. Verse 8, Paul says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, with high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world that lay behind us rather than from Christ. That's from the NLT. I want to switch over to the NIV. It says it a little bit differently, especially that first line is so important. See to it that no one takes you captive. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. You see, this is the language of a war. We're in a battle. This is a war. So spiritual war going on behind the scenes. Not only are you going to be prone to drift away from God all on your own because every one of us is prone to wander, but he's telling us that there are spiritual forces that are going to be working to pull us away from God. And they are really, really good at what they do. I was reading one guy, his name is Mark Driscoll, and he was talking about some of the strategies that the spiritual enemies use to pull us away from God. And he mentioned two of them. I thought they were pretty good. Driscoll says that our enemies are good at using as their weapons our lusts and our likes. Our lusts and our likes. First, our lusts. We're just extraordinarily sexual creatures. God made us that way. And when we use sex in the way that God meant it to be used, it is an incredible gift from our God. But I'm telling you guys that every one of God's gifts, especially the most powerful, can be twisted. And they can be used to pull us away from God. And so from time to time in most everybody's life, they start feeling a desire to do something sexually that crosses God's lines. And those desires can be so strong. So strong that sometimes we choose to give in even if it dishonors our God. Even as Jesus followers. And when we get immersed in sexual sin and we're refusing to get out of it, then ordinarily we choose one of two options. Here's what we do. We either simply push God away because we can't be with him and be involved in this activity. Or we twist the scripture so that it sounds like God agrees with what we're doing. We misinterpret the word. And Driscoll actually says, he says, most theological problems are really pants problems in disguise. That's the way he puts it, which I thought was kind of interesting. He's right. Someone wants to sleep with someone and God says no. So you find a reason to blow God off or you misinterpret his words so that he supports whatever it is that you want to do. Happens all the time. I've seen some of you guys do it. So Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy like that. Hollow, deceptive philosophy. Like the kind of deceptive lies that you hear almost every day. Things like this. Well, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Or my kind of God wouldn't be so prudish. Or God made me this way. Or God's all about love, and this is love, isn't it? And our enemy is really good at using our lusts to pull us away from God. He's also really good at using our, our likes. We used to call it peer pressure. We're tempted to compromise our Jesus following because others might mock us, they might diss us, they might blow us off, and we want to be liked by people, right? We want their acceptance. Sometimes we want the acceptance, the liking of people so much that we're willing to hide our faith in God or even set it aside if that's what it takes. And now this whole weapon of peer pressure has been ratcheted way up through the social media. Some of you guys live for the likes, right? When you post something, you start counting the likes that come in doesn't get enough likes. I know some of you guys actually pull it down, your post, because it's not liked enough. 
Because every time you get a like, you get this little tiny shot of endorphins, kind of like a drug. And some of you guys live for the likes and you'll compromise to get those hits. Here's the deal. Social media for a lot of folks, their goal is to be liked. But if you're serious about following Jesus, a lot of folks are not going to like you. I wish they would, but they're not going to. And so if you post something like, I love Jesus, or I don't think Jesus would condone that, there's going to be a backlash. Because oftentimes Jesus is simply not politically correct, is he? So we start pulling those kind of comments back and we start posting other things that are going to get more likes. Until some of us are tempted to live for the likes, even if it means marginalizing our God, which is one of those hollow and deceptive philosophies that takes us captive. And the stakes in this are too high, guys. And so for these and so many other hollow and deceptive philosophies, we start drifting. We get sucked up in these. We start drifting away from God. And then we start making our case to justify our drift. We're so good at rationalizing and justifying ourselves whenever we choose to walk away from God. We actually start building our case against God, which is hellish. Here's one thing a lot of people try. Maybe some of you guys. Driscoll and his guys actually commissioned a poll, a major poll about what keeps unchurched people and de-churched people from following Jesus. And they discovered all kinds of excuses, all kinds of reasons. You've heard a lot of them. But the biggest excuse they found for not following Jesus is that God and his people are so intolerant. You ever heard that one? We're so intolerant, which in our world is one of the cardinal sins, right? I mean, in our world, the only thing a person can be intolerant of is intolerance, which is why so many in our world take pride in being tolerant of just about anything except Jesus and Jesus followers because we're intolerant and they want to tolerate people like us. They think we're intolerant politically, socially. I mean, they think our Jesus following should be a private thing. It shouldn't intrude on our businesses. It shouldn't intrude on our politics. They think there should be this radical separation that our religion should never influence the public square. You know what the technical term for that is? Poppycock. You're right. They think we're intolerant spiritually. In fact, this is one of the biggest ones. They find it way over the top offensive because we believe Jesus when he says, I am the way, I am the way, I am the truth, the truth, I am the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father without coming through me. And they find that incredibly intolerant, even if it's true. And they find us cruel, rude, when we try to convert people who are not following Jesus. But listen, guys, if Jesus really is the Son of God, then what he says is true. If Jesus really is God in a bod who died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and if salvation really is in him alone, then it is not intolerant to tell the people we love that they're going to go to hell without him. 
I actually think we're intolerant on so many things. Marriage, abortion, alternative sexualities, there's a long list. Now guys, if we accept their definition of intolerance, we're guilty. I mean, we believe in God's grace, right? But we also believe in God's truth. We really do. 100% grace, 100% truth. In fact, we believe that God's grace is only tasted when you embrace God's truth. For us, the idea that God is love, so that means you can do whatever you want, it's not God's truth. The idea that a loving God would never allow anybody to go to hell, except maybe the very worst of the worst, it is simply not God's truth. But in reality, we kind of think our, our, our culture has messed up the definition of tolerance completely. I mean, what tolerance really means is, I disagree with you, but I still love you. I disagree with you, but I'm not going to force you to do it my way. Tolerance means you got to disagree. If, if you don't disagree with it, why are you tolerating it? But our culture has redefined tolerance. Tolerance now means I celebrate you. Celebrate you. I don't do it your way, but your way is cool. It's good. Celebrate you. And if I don't celebrate someone who's different from me, then I am intolerant. And if you don't tolerate somebody who's different from you, you're intolerant. We've got to celebrate, even if they're dangerously wrong, even if they're dishonoring God, right? It's twisted. Tolerance doesn't require that we celebrate someone who's disobedient to God. It means we love them anyway. We're going to treat them with decency, even though we don't agree with them. Because that's how God is with us. God loves us just the way we are, and he loves us way too much to let us stay the way we are. And if we truly love people, if we really love them, we're going to want God's grace and God's truth for them because we want God's best for them. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about the spiritual forces that are working behind the scenes. And guys, they're going to use nonsense like this to pull people away from God. They're going to use nonsense like this to try to pull you away from God. They're going to whisper things to you like God and his people are so intolerant. And they're going to put so many other charges that people take seriously that we're so hypocritical, we're negative, we're judgmental, we're unsophisticated, we're narrow-minded, we're regressive, we're oppressive. They're going to try to convince people that we Jesus followers live with our heads in the sand, that we that we oppose nearly all cultural progress, nearly all scientific progress, which is poppycock. That's what the people around you are going to tell you when they're pushing God away. That's what you're going to be tempted to think when you're pushing God away. And that's what the spiritual forces are going to whisper to you when they're trying to pull you away from God. So Paul says, see that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophies, which is exactly what this nonsense is, which depends on human tradition, human thinking, and the elemental spiritual forces rather than on Christ. They're empty because they can't heal the soul. They're deceitful because they're not 
true. They're not in accordance with reality. Because reality is measured by Jesus, right? Which is exactly where Paul goes next in Colossians. Verse 9. This is huge. This is so good. For in Christ, in Christ lives all of the fullness of God in a human body. In Christ lives all of the fullness of God in a human body. And if all the fullness of God really does live in Christ, in a human body, then any philosophy that clashes with Jesus is deceptive and hollow. If all of the fullness really does live in Christ, then all truth is going to be measured by him. And we are going to be measured by him. He's the real. And whatever tugs us away from him is counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Now, I've never done this personally, but I've heard that when a bank or some other business handles a lot of cash and they need to train their people to spot counterfeits, that instead of making them study the counterfeits, what they do is they let them handle a lot of real money. Because if you spend your serious time with the authentic, then spotting the inauthentic will be easier. The better you know the authentic, the easier it'll be to spot the inauthentic. You're going to feel it. You're going to see it. Something's not right with this. Same principle with Jesus, which is what Paul is saying here. If you want to be able to spot what the hollow deceptive philosophies are, the inauthentic, don't immerse yourself in them. Don't spend all your time studying them. Spend your serious time with Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. You don't have to study out every counterfeit philosophy. You don't have to study out every counterfeit religion, every, every false doctrine, every false teaching. You don't have to live in that kind of fear. If God raised Jesus from the dead, if you really walked out of that tomb, then God has already answered all of our biggest questions, hasn't he? Which religion is right? Which religion? If Jesus walked out of a tomb, that's God's answer, isn't it? Is there really a right and a wrong, or do I get to make my own rules? Jesus walked out of a tomb, kind of sounds to me like that whatever he says goes. How do I connect with God? What's the best way to live in this world? Is there really a heaven and a hell? If Jesus walked out of his tomb, I'd listen to his answers. So Paul goes on. He says, you are complete. You are complete through your union with Christ. And he is the head over every ruler and over every authority. Which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If he is God... He's the head over every ruler and every authority, which means that he rules over every one of your teachers, no matter how cynical they sometimes are. He rules over every one of your professors, no matter how cynical and eloquent they can be, over the author of every single book you've ever read. He rules over every preacher, every religious guru. He rules over everyone who thinks they're smart, everyone who thinks they're powerful. He rules over every parent, every boss, every politician, and not just human forces. He rules over Satan. He rules over every spiritual force, whether it is good or evil. So he says, don't get taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies, which sometimes sound so slick, especially if you're wanting to sin but which clash with the only one who gets to dictate what is real. 
because we studied this several weeks ago. It's such a powerful passage. Jesus really is the visible image of the invisible God. Remember those verses? Jesus really did exist before anything at all was created. And he's supreme over all of creation. In fact, he is the creator himself. He's the creator of things that we see and he's the creator of those things that are working behind the scenes that we can't see yet. Everything was created through him and, and for him. And he is the one actually who holds it all together. He's the head of the church. He's the head of Capital City Christian Church. He's the head of every church. He's even supreme over death itself because God in all his fullness, God in all his fullness lives in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Which means, don't diss him. And if one of your teachers or one of your profs or one of your cynical friends think they have a case against God, maybe you're developing one. If they think they're smarter than God, don't listen. All the fullness of God was in Jesus. And because he was all that, God could make peace with us through the blood of Jesus on the cross, which is what Paul tells us over and over again. In fact, that's exactly why Jesus became God in a bod. To remove the wall that sin had built between us and God, he came to reconnect us with God. He came to establish a new covenant, a new covenant between us and God. And that's where Paul goes next, to this notion of covenant. He says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised. And you're thinking, I don't think so. Which for the Jews was the mark of the covenant. But he says, our circumcision was not physical. It's a spiritual one. I know this whole idea of circumcision as a mark of the covenant for Jesus or God followers is a little weird to us. But if you were raised Jewish, circumcision was the symbol and the seal of the covenant. If you were a guy, it was a sign of your covenant relationship with God. Jesus changed it up. Not circumcision for us. It's baptism, like we saw this morning. Paul says, you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. With him, you were raised to a new life because you trusted the power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's our sign of a covenant relationship with God. And since it is, have you done it? If you haven't, we're going to have a class right after the second service in our connections room. We'd love to talk to you. So here's what God does to you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior Lord. This is Verse 13, Paul says this, you were dead. You were dead spiritually because of your sins. You were dead because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive. You're brand new spiritually. You were alive physically, now you're alive spiritually. And that's way bigger. Because he forgave, he forgave how many of our sins? All of them. All of them. How many is that? How much is all? How many times have you already sinned against God in your life? How many times do you think you're going to sin before you die? Every thought that you've ever thought that dishonors our God, every word that you've ever spoken that dishonors our God, every deed, every fault, every failure, all of them. I don't care who you are. The Bible says all of us sin a lot. 
And the way he forgives our sins is way different than the way we tend to forgive it when people sin against us. I mean, if I tell you I forgive you, I'm, I'm talking about the sins I know about, right? If I discover there are other sins you're hiding, then I guess I got to start forgiving all over again. God knows all your sins. Nothing is hidden from him. No sin has ever been hidden from God and he forgives all of them. And when I forgive someone, usually my forgiveness covers the sins of your past, what you've already done against me. If you start sinning again, I'm gonna have to start forgiving again. When God forgives your sins, he forgives the sins of your past. He's forgiven the sins that you are struggling with right now. He will continue to forgive your sins until the day you die as long as you are in Christ. As long as you are in Christ, you stand forgiven, completely forgiven by our God. That is so cool. And he spells it out in the next verse, verse 14. He says, he canceled the record. He canceled the record of the charges against us. Every sin, he took it away by nailing it to the cross. See, back in that day, sometimes when a person was executed, they'd make a list of their crimes. And they'd put the verdict on that list and they'd post it when that person was executed. When Jesus went to the cross, they didn't have any sins, crimes that he had committed because he hadn't committed any. They couldn't put a legitimate guilty verdict. So he took the record of your sin and my sin to the cross, nailed it to his cross. And he says, no one gets to these records without coming through me which is the cross of Jesus. Now I told you this morning, started out by telling you there are spiritual forces that are working behind the scenes that are gonna try to get you to lose in this war. There's a kingdom of light, there's a kingdom of darkness. We are in a war, whether you admit it or not, whether you know it or not. Paul says, not only did he forgive your sins, He says, on that cross, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He beat them too. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on a cross. It's the language of war. It's the language of a battle. The spiritual war that's going on, and it's been going on even before God ever created the heavens and the earth. See, in the time before our time, Satan led a rebellion against God. And if you take the numbers literally, a third of God's angels went with him. And when God created us, we got sucked into that war. God loves us, tries to draw him to him. Satan and his minions hate God and try to pull us away from him. There is a battle going on for your soul. War has gone on for millennia. And then Jesus was sent in by God. He was sent to rescue us. Satan unleashes all of his forces to bring Jesus down. Finally, he turned Judas into a double agent. Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus is arrested. He's found guilty of crimes that he hadn't committed. He's beaten. He's flogged. He's crucified. The demons are cheering. Satan is celebrating because the king is dying. And in his mind to the victor goes the spoils. Sometimes back then, wars weren't fought in faraway places. They were fought, fought, fought right next to home. 
And so sometimes the husband would kiss the wife and the kids. And he'd go to fight the battle just outside town knowing that if I lose today, my enemy is going to be sleeping with my wife tonight. And he's going to take my kids and sell them as slaves. And he's going to pillage everything that I own. And the soldiers would go out to fight to the death. You think they were motivated? And whichever king won would take whatever he wanted from the losers. And he'd bring it home and they'd put on this huge parade. And all of the victors and their folks would be cheering. <laughs> this one's different. Greatest of all battles. In the greatest of all battles, the victor died. No one could make that up. He was completely dead. And the enemy was making his plans to celebrate until three days later, Jesus walks out of a tomb, alive. And Satan, or Jesus not only triumphed over death, he defeated Satan. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What we have to know, guys, is that Satan had already claimed us as his own. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of us at various times in our life, all of us were willing to follow. We've all joined the rebellion against God. We side with evil whenever we choose sin over God. But instead of treating us in this war as we deserved, on his cross, Jesus rescues us. And he sets us free. And he not only sets us free, but he offers a place in his own family as his kids. And he fights for you every single day. And he pursues you every single day. But you got to let him in. Our team is going to sing a song for you. You really don't need to join in. Really just want you to listen. And see if perhaps you can hear God through his spirit nudging you in the words of this song. And guys, if you're moved by any of this stuff and you realize that you've got things to do to, to get right with God, if, if you want to talk about being a Christian, I'm going to hang around up front here after the service. Be glad to talk to you. Come to the baptism class afterwards. We'll talk about what it means to, to be a Jesus follower. If you want to make Capital City your home? Come on down, give us a chat. Give us a call. And if you're drifting in some fashion, this is the time to make it right with God. So just sit for a couple of minutes and listen to the team. <laughs>